Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I have to admit, I don't love the college football calendar the way that it is right now. I feel like we take something that's really, really important and we like cram it in right here before Christmas and right before the start of the college football playoff and all the stuff on field. And yet sometimes life is about kind of making peace with things that aren't your preference. This is an example for me. The early signing period begins on Wednesday, like a couple of days before Christmas. So you're trying to get those last minute gifts bought. You're trying to, you know, do what you need to do to get ready for the holiday season. And yet you're also trying to follow your team. as It's trying to get its roster ready for next year before this year's games are even done. In fact, the most important games that Georgia plays are about to be played. And yet before you can do that, you have to kind of push pause and go out there and build your roster for 2023 and beyond it's just sort of a weird way in which the calendar works out but it's also been with us now for a few years we're used to it and this week is going to be gigantic for georgia so while we're in the midst of go for two in 22 let's talk about putting together uh, an elite class for 2023 here and you've heard jeff centel talking about this plenty we talked about jeff uh, we talked about this with jeff back on friday when he joined us here on dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia that there are really two big names that Georgia's watching for on Wednesday. Now, potentially, you've got other additions to the class. For instance, Daniel Harris, who recently left the Georgia class, he may come back in. Uh, you know, Georgia may add another defensive back as well here as part of the early signing period. So Georgia may still add more than just two players for this class of 2023 during the early signing period. But pretty clearly, you're watching very closely right now for two very big names, one who'll decide on Wednesday, one who'll decide on Thursday. And I guess there is reason to believe that Georgia's in pretty good shape for both of these, I guess. But also, I'm going to tell you this right now, given the weirdness and the wildness of what kind of is defined as recruiting here in the uh, end of 2022 moving into 2023 i wouldn't tell you to count anything as done before it's actually uh done and official and you've seen your own examples of that to kind of explain why that's true but on wednesday that'll be our chance and i believe it's like what 3 30 in the afternoon somewhere around that time uh damon wilson five-star edge rusher will make his choice and it certainly seems like this is just georgia and it's just ohio state and if you follow the internet stuff closely from up in columbus they're all about about oh well georgia's gotten this done and georgia's done it and they all have their sort of reasons why accusing georgia of i don't know what nefarious nil stuff or whatever you're going to kind of hear on that but the buckeyes folks will tell you that georgia's won this battle i don't know that the georgia folks are quite so confident in that because i think they still are sort of suspicious of what the uh, buckeyes folks may be trying to do to get this done but one way or another uh wilson whose high school career came to an end this past weekend he fell just short of winning a state championship tyler williams team actually got denied there uh, but nonetheless, a great high school career and a great season for Wilson wraps up. And now he's going to get ready to make his choice coming up on Wednesday. And there is really nothing bigger for a Georgia fan to watch this week than what Damon Wilson does. You know the reasons why. Wilson's a great player, but he's also a great player in a position of need for Georgia. You have to have as many elite edge rushers you can have in the program. Getting after quarterbacks is not going out of style anytime soon. That great teams are going to need to be able to do that. Georgia's looking to add as much talent in that kind of edge rusher spot as it can possibly get. Sam and Pemba is an example of that. That's a guy that's in the fold for Georgia now. Wilson's a guy they're still chasing for the very same reason. You want those great players to help you get after quarterbacks. And in a future year, Damon Wilson be certainly an 
example of that. Now, another big name, not on Wednesday, but on Thursday, and don't forget the early signing period extends three days. That's when Jordan Hall, defensive tackle out of the uh, Jacksonville area, also out of Florida, ironically enough, but a defensive tackle out of that Jacksonville area, he gets ready to make his decision there too. We saw how important it was for Georgia in 2021, along the way to winning a national championship, to have a great defensive line. If you told me as a Georgia fan, that I could have the nation's best defensive line year after year after year, I'll take my chances with that no matter what the rest of the story is for Georgia. That the building block for greatness as a team, a really pretty good place to start, is there along the defensive line. And you know to go along with what you kind of already think Georgia sort of has in that mix here, for the you know, think about a guy like Jamal Jarrett, you know, to be able to pair a Jordan Hall with a Jamal Jarrett for the future of the Georgia defensive line to go with what's already in the program, guys like Bear Alexander, who we've seen at times this year look pretty impressive, that Georgia could be well set up for its future along the defensive line there, too. So those are two really big names you're watching. It's Damon Wilson on Wednesday, it's Jordan Hall on Thursday. If you're a Georgia fan, reason to feel really good about both these guys, but just given how crazy everything is as it relates to recruiting i don't think anybody's necessarily going to kind of kind of wave the flag and say these battles are over until they are truly over and done so let's watch them closely and we will around dog nation all week long but what's funny is as georgia chases down these elite high school recruits hoping to win with wilson hoping to win with hall you know, thinking about the possibility of bringing back in a Daniel Harris or something along those lines, thinking about February when a great tight end like Deuce Robinson makes uh, his decision. As you're in the midst of doing all of that, hard not to notice how hot things are on the transfer market for Georgia, too. And you know the story here by now. You know, Georgia's not looking to take a million transfers. It'll never make that the primary pillar for how it establishes its roster it won't do that but as Kirby Smart told you plenty of times before don't assume just because Georgia didn't have a transfer player this year that it's unwilling to take transfer players when they are kind of viewed to be a good fit for the program and my guess is that Georgia's looking to dip into the portal a couple of times here to complete its 2023 roster we've talked about the wide receiver spot you know a guy like Robert Thomas who's been visiting you know Dominic Lovett we talked about that uh, most recently of Missouri kind of having been here and you're also kind of paying attention to what i think is really interesting a couple of recruits that georgia once chased down and maybe just came up just short on being able to win these recruiting battles that maybe now you're getting a little bit of a second chance with right now which i think is uh pretty interesting let me start with Dion smoke Bowie. we talked about buoy uh, last week obviously he's from bainbridge that's kirby smart's hometown he made the decision to go to texas a&m we all know what the rumors were and how texas a&m put together that class of 2022 a year ago a lot of folks at the time were saying oh this may be too much too soon for a&m and this greed with which they've amassed this recruiting class as described by some is likely not to produce much in the way of fruit and the people who did predict that it would seem like those predictions are kind of coming true i think a&m's got about 25 guys in the transfer portal. i mean literally it is dissolving just as fast as it came together for them last year and Bowie maybe being the most recent example of that we have photographic evidence from Bowie's instagram i believe this was his uh, like instagram live thing uh that he was in athens in fact let me show you this for those of you watching on video you see Bowie wearing the uh, georgia uniform and he's even got like the uh i guess the crown and the cape and he's sitting on the uh the arches throne there so Bowie's clearly enjoying himself and i think this is an example of you know no matter what you may want to say about you know why it is that he went to a&m and uh, you know some georgia fans are like well listen if you don't want to be at georgia i don't want any part of him 
But I've told you this before. You can't have thin skin when it comes to recruiting. You can't get your feelings hurt easily because ultimately this is about putting together the best possible roster you can and giving guys a chance to benefit from what Georgia provides. Because who could deny here? When you want to make the comparison between a Georgia and a Texas A&M, there seems to be a cultural element in place at Georgia that A&M can't match. And I think that not only does it benefit Georgia in terms of winning championships to have that culture in place, here's what I would also say. I think it benefits the players who come through this. And you know, to kind of be at a place like A&M where they're kind of haphazard and kind of catch-as-catch-can, just sort of throwing together whatever they can to kind of go out there and be competitive, frankly, that's not serving those players in that program particularly well. So for a guy like Dion Bowie to be the best version of himself, to be challenged the way that he might be at a place like Georgia, I root for that. I hope that happens, not just because it makes Georgia better to have talented players, but because it makes the players that come through the program better for having endured the, the, the toughness required to be at a place like Georgia. So I'm watching this pretty closely. If Georgia had a chance to add Bowie, I'd be happy about it. The fact that he chose Texas A&M the first time or the fact that you've heard whatever you've heard about Bowie over the course of the last year, that's relatively meaningless to me because I think when a player like that has a chance to be at a place like Georgia, maybe far different outcome uh, both in the present and in the future for him than maybe would have happened if he was somewhere else. So I think that Bowie's worth your attention, and I think if you could add him if you're Georgia, that'd be a situation worth celebrating. And then another player that Georgia also had a shot to win with didn't quite get it done with, and all of a sudden now, maybe, who knows, kind of back in the mix here, did you see where Travis Hunter, now this was the uh, former top player in the country, top player in the state of Georgia. You go back to watch him play back in the 2021 season, Wide receiver, defensive back, everything that Hunter tried, he was just great at. I mean, this was a truly, truly special high school player, someone that I was frankly glad I got a chance to see play, had a chance to broadcast a couple of his games, and I was mesmerized by his talent. He made the surprising decision for signing day a year ago to follow Deion Sanders to Jackson State. It was very controversial when it happened, or at least it kind of controversial maybe the wrong word. It was it, it was a conversation start. This big conversation kind of started around the fact that well, all of a sudden, Travis Hunter's following Dion to Jackson State. Well, now you know the story with Dion. Dion's on his way to Colorado. So does that mean that uh, Travis Hunter is going to do the same thing? He has entered the transfer portal officially, but is he going to follow Dion Sanders to Colorado? Is it just that simple to assume that this is much like Shador Sanders, who's obviously going to follow his dad uh, in the transfer portal and on his way? Is Travis Hunter leaving and doing the same thing? Is it that easy to assume? Well, actually, Travis Hunter went live on YouTube over the weekend to kind of talk about his situation. This is a guy that George was trying to be in the mix with and was maybe even a little bit more in the mix with down the stretch than some folks realized last recruiting cycle. Does Georgia have a, a second chance at getting Travis Hunter, or is this just locked up to Colorado and Hunter's going to follow Coach Prime up there to Boulder? This is what Travis Hunter said about this subject over the weekend. Here is Travis Hunter. Yes, I have into the transfer portal. And I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I know I'm just trying to look for a new home, and I want to take my time out in this decision and go ahead and just wait my options out. I don't want to just rush into nothing, jump into nothing. Yes, everybody wants me to follow Coach Prime, but I want to follow Coach Prime too, but I need to know if it's a fit for me, then I'll go. If it's not a fit for me, I'm not going. I just want everybody to know that. I make everything clear. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm committing to Colorado right now, or I'm never going to do it. I'm just saying, you know, that's not in my plan as of right now to just go jump and be on the team. I'm just waiting my office out here. So very interesting from Travis Hunter there saying everybody, you know, it's he's obviously not playing dumb here. He's acknowledging the most obvious rumor that would be connected to him. Well, if you went to 
you know, Jackson State because of Deion Sanders. Now that Deion's at Colorado and you're leaving Jackson State, are you just going to follow Deion again? Travis Hunter acknowledges that as probably the most you know prominent rumor connected to him, but says, don't be quite so sure you know what I'm going to do. He says multiple times over the course of a couple of minutes there on video that he himself is not sure what he's going to do. But I'll tell you this, much like I said about Deion Bowie a moment ago, if that's a guy that Georgia had a chance to get involved with in kind of a second chance recruiting situation, a recruiting battle that you may have came up just short in winning uh, last year to have a chance to win that one again here, to be a part of the 2023 roster of course if you're a georgia fan you would root to do that whether he plays wide receiver defense back whatever he plays you would love to have a guy like travis hunter here in athens if you got a chance to do that and i was kind of thinking about this and this may be kind of a weird way to think about this but you know sometimes in like regular recruiting programs kind of want to have that last official visit in other words you go talk to other places you see what they're all about and then you come try us on and see what our official visit's like and when you have us to compare to everywhere else you've already visited well, then you're going to see the strength of our program. That's one of the thought processes that's existed for a long time. It's good to have that last official visit. And I was kind of thinking about this, and this may be kind of a sort of a weird way to look at this, but much the same way that you benefit by comparison when you're the last official visit, can you also make a case that if you're Georgia, you benefit by comparison for a guy like Dion Bowie, who's had a year to be a Texas A&M, or for a guy like Travis Hunter, who's maybe had a year to be somewhere else other than Georgia, that the strength of George is demonstrated better by what you don't see from the other places that you may have gone to is there an argument to be made that might be the case here and that Georgia who wins its share of recruiting battles no one can deny that a couple of the rare misses they have a chance to come back and win with here again I think it sets up for a fascinating week and a fascinating few days yes there are guys like Damon Wilson and Jordan Hall that Georgia has a chance to add here during this 2023 class at a high school. And that'll always be the, the bedrock of this Georgia program. But to also populate your roster with a couple of high-profile uh, transfers, whether they be wide receivers or a couple of the names we just mentioned, it sets up that a Georgia team in 2022 competing for a second national championship. Certainly the strength of this roster in 2023 could be uh, something pretty impressive indeed. These are really fun times to be a dog fan. There is a national championship competition on the horizon, but this week, Georgia also working to get better for the future, and it's fun to watch it all play out. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Good morning to you, and thank you for being with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon. On Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref, we are available as a podcast wherever you find them, including the worldfamousdognation.com. Just really, really happy to have you as a part of the program. For those of you joining us at 945 for our first and 15, we appreciate that there as well. Lots of ways for you to connect with our show in whichever way you choose. We are just thankful for it. And we're thankful for our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia as well for making all of this possible here on a day like this. Of course, it's about to be really, really cold here in the state of Georgia. In fact, it's already pretty cold. It's about to be even colder than that. Here's what I know that means for you. When you have got that really, really cold weather out there, uh, you want to keep that cold weather where it's supposed to be on the outside of your house. You don't want that creeping inside your house because uh, that drafty stuff is just miserable, right? It's not what you want to feel this time of year. Well, properly fitted windows and doors, the kind of high quality product that Pella Window and Door of George is famous for, that keeps the stuff on the outside of your house where it's supposed to be. And those that heat, that nice warmth on the inside of your house that you pay so much for, because let's face it, energy bills are crazy high right now. Well, when you have the really best windows and doors you're going to have, that keeps that heat and stuff on the inside 
where it's supposed to be too. That's what Pella Window and Door of Georgia is all about. Plus, it makes your house look good on the outside. That that improved curb appeal can also it makes you a good neighbor, of course, but it also has a chance to benefit your resale value too. That is what Pella Window and Door of Georgia is all about. They're also about great savings right now too, because because between now and December 31st, you can get zero percent APR for 24 months or 50 percent off qualifying installation. So you need to find more about this. Talk to a Pella expert. Let them walk you through the entire product line, uh, your installation options. It's a no pressure situation. It's just a way to get educated on why Pella Window and Door of Georgia is such a great product and why they provide such a great service. So you can stop by and see them at their experience center right there in Duluth and put your hands on the product and feel what makes it different. Have a really fun, friendly conversation with the folks there. Or if you're more comfortable by phone or online, you can do that too. The website, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. Also give them a call, 678-638-1429. That's 678-638-1429. Now just do me a favor. When you reach out, tell them that BA from Dog Nation Daily told uh you to call them because i know they're going to take good care of you so you tell them i said that and i promise you'll get great service because Pella window and door of georgia is viewed to be the best all right we're gonna get john stinchcomb here coming up in a moment we have controversy to address with mr stinchcomb not controversy caused by john but nonetheless it's a controversy we're going to ask john to weigh in on in fact let me set the stage for that by going around the doghouse and it's assisted today by our friends at triple a so some of y'all are not too happy and i think you have a right not to be let me show you this what somebody sent me here as an example of kind of the unhappiness that exists right now georgia fans saw one of those national awards did not go their way and they're weighing in on this uh grateful uh dad 166 said dog nation daily uh hashtag go for two and 22 which is always a great way to start any conversation you know kind of the way you say merry christmas to people our version of that is dog fans is go for two and 22 so a uh, grateful uh dad shares that with me and then he says you need to cover this on monday and then he gives you the laughing emoji dog fans literally laughing at the idea idea that the joe moore award for the second straight year has chosen michigan in fact michigan football bragging about this on twitter saying the best offensive line in the country confirmed again <sighs> yeah so i'm frustrated by this i'm not gonna lie to you now here's my frustration we do this every year or at least there are people that sort of do this every year where we sort of pretend that in any given year, whatever's happening, that history began with that year and that nothing that happened prior to, like, say, September of 2022 happened and matters at all. Like, we've actually seen in a big game, not against, you know, the Big Ten, but I, when you leave that, come down to a place like, say, Miami, say, in, like, say, January of 2022, take on a team like, say, Georgia. Uh, we've sort of seen how the Michigan offensive line in that situation performed a big game, and they were left lacking. They did not quite get the job done. Uh, and that matters, and I think it's real. And yet, uh, for a second straight year, the Joe Moore Award has sort of seen fit to say, ah, Michigan, best offensive line there is, Georgia uh coming up you know second in all of this and look i'll acknowledge there's a lot in football that's kind of a subjective conversation you know opinions can differ and who really knows who's right sometimes with the stuff related to the offensive line that's even more true than anything we're going to talk to john in a moment who's a certified expert you know all american played in the nfl like john knows offensive line stuff but even he would probably say hey you know there's another smart person who may have a different opinion than me because when you've got five guys kind of working together you know different people have a way of sort of seeing all that different it's a lot to look at even if you're focusing in on the offensive line but if you kind of look at the stat stuff here it certainly does not really speak to this obvious conclusion that the Michigan offensive line is so much better than Georgia's that it should win the Joe Moore award two years in a row that's not quite what the numbers 
uh, would necessarily tell you. And I'm, sometimes I use some of the advanced stuff. On this today, I'm just going to use like sort of basic stuff. If you look at sacks allowed, for instance, uh, you know, Georgia's only given up seven sacks all year long. Michigan's given up 13. If you look at for, uh, tackles for loss allowed, the thought here being, you know, penetrating the offensive line, getting to the backfield to make a tackle. Georgia's only allowed 46 tackles for loss this year. Michigan's allowed 56. So Michigan's allowed more sacks, more uh, tackles for loss. The rushing stuff kind of slightly favors Michigan. Uh, they are averaging 243 yards per game on the ground. Georgia averaging just 207. It's not wildly different. Both teams near the top nationally. Uh, Michigan averaging 5.64 yards per carry. Georgia averaging 5.53. So the rushing numbers do favor Michigan just slightly. The other stuff kind of favors Georgia. So it's not obvious here that the Michigan offensive line should have been rewarded here. And certainly for a second consecutive season, maybe that seems a little bit weird. So, yeah, I think that Georgia had a strong case to win this award. They did not do it. And, you know, around here, we're going to make the uh, argument for Georgia if we have a chance to do so. So let me put a little bit of a silver lining on this, if at all possible. It is uh, it is very true that the Georgia offensive line wanted to be the Joe Moore Award winners this year. And the fact that they didn't, maybe that means you don't want to be on the other side of the Georgia offensive line here coming up if you're Ohio State, or maybe certainly if it's Michigan in a national championship game. Not looking past Georgia, uh, should say not looking past Ohio State, of course. But it's kind of interesting to think, ooh, what might it be like if Georgia gets a chance to actually show it against Michigan here one more time? Let me give you some context for this. Before the season began, Cedric Von Prahn Granger, the Georgia center, who was an unbelievable leader for this team, he cast a pretty big vision at the time for just how much Georgia wanted to win the award that some are being said or that are some are saying they were they've been snubbed for. This is what SVP said about the Joe Moore Award before the season began. Here's uh, Van Prahn Granger. I'll say this. We definitely want to honor the guys that came last year, but honestly, this is a new group, and we feel slighted because we, let me let me rephrase that, not slighted, slighted is the right word. We just you want to use it as motivation that we didn't win the Joe Moore last year, so we want to be the best group possible. <laughs> you want to face that guy right now? You want to you, you want to do battle with uh, Cedric Von Prime Granger in the trenches right now? He said before the season began, yeah, we're motivated to win this war. We have a chip on our shoulder because we didn't win it a year ago. And here they get all the way down to the finalist of this. And the team that won it is the same team that won it a year ago, the same team that Georgia mauled in the Orange Bowl last season. And yet somehow, some way, the Joe Moore Award uh, gives the nod to Michigan again. And listen, this is subjective. And you know, it's only fine to have the opinion that the Michigan offensive line is great. But I think the Georgia folks sort of felt like they had uh, an argument to be made to win this award. The fact that they didn't, it might not be too fun to be a Ohio State defensive line here coming up. It might not be too fun to be one of those other defensive lines, potentially the national championship game there as well. That that Georgia doesn't win the award, second straight year, they've come up just short on that. But maybe they do get the last laugh in the games that actually count. That is around the doghouse, and it's presented today by our friends at AAA. And listen, traveling around a lot right now and uh, when I'm doing that, I'm very, very thankful to have that AAA membership card in my back pocket because it helps me with everything that I need. Because God knows if something breaks down on my car, I'm not going to fix it down the side of the road. I'm just not going to be able to do that. So I'm thankful that our folks at AAA kind of help us with that. But that's not the only thing I want you to know about when it comes to AAA. I also want you to know them as a resource for your insurance needs there too, including your home insurance. Because 
When you make the switch to AAA for your home insurance, you can get lots of great features and benefits for doing so, including this thing called claim forgiveness. And let me tell you how claim forgiveness works. It means your first claim is forgiven when you're insured and claim free with insurance through AAA for five years. My uh, uh, wife's parents, they just had a big home insurance claim. It's one of those things you may go a long time, never have one, and all of a sudden you have this really, really big one. It can be kind of a nerve-wracking type thing. Well, what AAA is telling you, hey, when you've had your insurance with us, you know, you've been claim free for the last five years. When you have some kind of pop up, we're not going to ask a lot of questions about that. We're just going to take good care of you. That's what claim forgiveness is all about. So you can find out more about this by going to the website. It's AAA.com slash home insurance. That's AAA.com slash home insurance. You can also give them a call. 833-718-2075. That's 833-718-2075 and connect and find a branch close to you. All right. So there's so much going on right now that we actually probably won't be able to cover it all today. So you got high profile decommit for the class of 2024. We'll get to that probably tomorrow. But before this show is done, a lot to laugh at as it relates to Florida. Some pretty big news coming out of Alabama. Uh, a little bit of an odd quarterback thing maybe going on at Auburn. So we're going to cover all of that. A Georgia commit was sort of seen <laughs> and it plays pretty far away from Athens here this weekend, too. Uh, we'll try to figure out what that means there as well. So a lot to cover before the show is done. But for now, on Georgia not getting the Joe Moore Award, on the continued preparations for Ohio State, kind of everything else in between, what do you say we talk to John Stinchcomb here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella, Window and Door of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Great to have John Stinchcomb on the program here today. And, John, if you don't mind, let me bring you in on the conversation we're just having. Now, listen, you know, I'm dumb but I'm not stupid. Like, I realize that there's, you know, I have enough self-awareness to know that when we're making the case for George winning the Joe Moore Award, of course we're kind of doing that because we're a Georgia-centric show. Of course that's probably what this is. But, listen, if we're not going to make the case for Georgia, then who is? Clearly not the Joe Moore, Joe Moore Award voting folks because for the second straight year, they fall in love with Michigan. Like, what do you think about this just in general? Uh, and what do you think about, I guess, about the current state of the Georgia offensive line? You know, do you think it was deserving of being viewed as the nation's best? I certainly think they're in the conversation. What I think Georgia did this year in replacing a number of players and also building from what they started last year, uh, I think is a testament to the level of recruitment that they've had and development. You look at Broderick Jones at left tackle and uh, the way he stepped in and, and has played uh, at such a high level. And that's filling the shoes of Jamari Salyer. And, you know, obviously he played a, a ton in that national championship game. But um, as a group, a group that Really, um, we, we weren't certain heading into this year who would be the guys that would step up and fill those roles. And uh, one of the main reasons why Georgia is where they are is because of the level of play in that front group. And, and it hasn't been without its hiccups along the way, uh, interior-wise. I mean, there are some injuries and, and some um, adjustments that were made throughout the season, but... When you come to awards like the Joe Moore Award, and they're reflective of um, a, a specific group, I think what really comes into play, and I, I don't expect any committee who's voting on these to be able to watch every game, it comes down to um, statistics, one, and just feel. 
you know, they, they get a feel for the team. And, you know, Michigan had that high-profile win against Ohio State. And I, I have to think that games like that factor in. And when you look at an overall identity of Michigan um, for a committee, they're not going to watch every one of those games, but they get a feel for, ooh, this must be a dominant group. And when you look at Georgia on the surface, there are so many other distractors where your eyes are looking in different places. But I think that that's why uh, this offensive line group probably doesn't get the credit that it deserves. Now, obviously, they're in that final runnings, and you know that same argument could be made that uh, because you're a part of a talented group, it makes you look better than you probably are at times. But this season was one where uh, you come in with a new offensive line coach and, and you're trying to fill in some key spots and, and uh, guard and specifically left tackle, and Georgia did it at such a high level. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, that's the reason why this offense has probably gained steam and gained momentum um, from last year into this one. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, but I am curious of your opinion on this. What does prove the greatness of an offensive line? Like I cited some stats a little earlier about, you know, sacks allowed and tackles for loss allowed and rushing yards. That seems like the simplest way to look at this. But admittedly, there's a lot that kind of goes into that that is beyond just how good your offensive line is. How good the teams you're playing, for instance, can be a part of that discussion too. So I'm curious if you're looking to be measured and during your career, John, you did want to be measured. Obviously, that's how you got paid and things like that. So I'm sure you have an opinion on that. And then beyond that, I've always kind of been a little bit more comfortable measuring offensive lines as a group as opposed to kind of judging the five individual players. I think a lot of things in sports are kind of moving more towards how does a team function together more so than how do the individuals perform in a situation like this. There's a lot of offensive line that seems connected to me. Once again, as someone who played the position yourself or at least played an offensive line position yourself – do you judge the linemen individually or are you more likely to judge the way in which a group works together? Uh, it's a both and for me. I mean, I, I like to look at individual performances. I think of, you know, back when I was playing, there's a guy by the name of Jeff Backus, Norcross yeah. grad, who uh, oddly enough went to Michigan, but he, he spent <laughs> his entire career in Detroit with the Lions. And in my opinion, never got the credit that he deserved as an individual player. Now he wasn't, he wasn't a part of some great groups. And, you know, you look at statistics and, they probably weren't glowing just because you got a quarterback who's back there playing patty cake with the football, and uh, all of a sudden your stats or your sacks allowed might go up. But um, you know, you watch an individual perform, and you go, "Man, that guy is really, really good." And then, you know, in that same breath, you watch Seattle back in the day, and they Walter Jones and yeah. Steve Hutchinson and. You know, that was a, a unit, a group that played at such a high level that you watch and you go, ah, I get it. That's what five guys coordinated on one page is supposed to look like. And, you know, uh, p- part of that assessment is what are you asking them to do? You know, you watch uh, the the Chiefs film. You know, I'm, I'm sticking with the NFL because uh, that's they're playing at a really high level, but I think you can also identify – um, schemes and, and, and trends similar to the way 
Georgia and Michigan are, are similar. In my opinion, it's Michigan is Georgia light, if you will. I mean, they're trying to do the same thing. They're just not quite as effective or, or not to the level that Georgia is. Um, but what they're asked to do is, is very similar. And I think at times Georgia has been able to um, dominate in both aspects, uh, both run and pass game, which is unique. You see a lot of teams now that are um, singularly centric in their offensive approach. And the way Georgia asks our offensive linemen to not only be proficient in the run game, but also uh, in pass protection, I think that's what sets them apart. And, um, you know, as a, as a group, they have probably outperformed whatever projections were um, given to them at the beginning of the year just because of the, the number of bodies that they replaced. Moving on to the uh, Peach Bowl here for a moment, I think it's been really interesting. I talked about this on Friday's show that you have Kirby Smart and Ryan Day, seemingly two very different coaches who lead very different looking teams. They're both kind of saying something pretty similar in that in this time it has kind of led up the Peach Bowl. Now, that's probably changed this week as these teams continue practicing. But in this time prior to that, they're more interested in working on themselves, more interested in kind of you know doing what Smart calls the camp style practices. They're more interested in those type of things than they are really game planning for the opponent. And I'm sure there's some behind the scenes stuff from a game planning standpoint that they're not really looking to reveal. But I take that to be pretty meaningful when two very different coaches essentially say the same thing. And what that leads me to believe, John, is is the actual key to the result in the peach bowl is not about what kirby knows about ryan day or what day knows about kirby it's about both these coaches trying to be the best version of themselves they can be or maybe more accurately to make their teams the best version of themselves the most georgia version of georgia the most ohio state version of ohio state that that the coaches spending so much time working on themselves prior to getting ready for the opponent means that being better at what you do seemingly is more important than what your opponent does is that kind of the read that you get on this game coming up Yes, and, and you become creatures of habit. I mean, you, you get into a routine where there's an expectation during a normal work week of uh, game plan, preparation, what you know about your your opponent and how you're going to you know, defeat their strengths and limit their opportunities. And, and I'm sure there are folks in that building over at the Buttsmere that are planning and strategizing and preparing for and have refined to the finest detail uh, whatever preparatory work that needs to happen for them to get the best game plan, for them to get the best assessment of strengths and weaknesses of you know the various groups and personnel and uh, any clues and pointers. That's all happening. But because you have this extra time, because there's an additional three weeks uh, in between games that is not normal, you get an opportunity to focus on some of the fundamentals. I think one of the most telling comments came actually after the SEC championship game where uh, Coach Smart's talking about the deterioration of some of the fundamentals. You know, Specifically, at the time, it was uh, defensive backs and tackling and um, those sorts of things. Well, given this extra time, what you don't have to do is uh, spend all of that on game plan and preparation for your opponent, but you get to do some in-house housekeeping. And some of the, 
things that you've let slide as a player, as a, as a coach that you can go back to and spend time on these, on, on the fundamentals, on the building blocks that makes your team, um, as good as it is. And then once you get closer to the game, it's, it's almost like a normal work week where, you know, you're going through base personnel and, and your different, uh, plays that you like and, you know, back to that familiar territory, but with this extra time between games, and it is significant. It gives you an opportunity to kind of have that uh, training camp at the end of the year that you're, you are focused on yourself and you don't have to turn all your attention to your opponent. It's really, really interesting. Let me finish with this, John. I think you and I both would probably say that, hey, we've liked the fact that Georgia hasn't been nearly as transfer-dependent as other teams have been. Think about a team like Alabama, for instance, that took in a lot of high-profile transfers, really hoping to build its uh, its its season on the back of some transfer players that didn't work out too well. I think you and I would say I'm glad that Georgia didn't try to do that. And yet at the same time, it certainly seems like in this offseason, looking ahead to 2023, you know, Georgia's trying to be not as active in the portal as some people are, and yet they're looking to add a couple of big time players if they get a chance to, which I'm fine with. I think that you've got to be able to utilize all of the resources that are available. And right now, the transfer portal is certainly one of those resources that is available. What do you think about Georgia and the portal right now, both in terms of the fact that at least thus far we've only heard one name kind of pop into the portal from Georgia. That's Bill Norton who announced this weekend he's going to Arizona. But also, you know, for Georgia who seems content, maybe had a couple of uh, wide receivers, you got you know a couple of f- former high-profile recruits that maybe Georgia's trying to get back involved with. What do you think about the current situation with Georgia and the transfer portal? Yeah, I think this past year will – proved to be the anomaly where you have zero transfers in but I don't think that Georgia will ever lead the the conference if not the country in transfers transfers out transfers in I, I mean I, I see Georgia as, as doing a great job of developing talent and retaining talent and I think that starts with high school recruiting now uh, not having any come in, I, I don't foresee that being a commonality. I think the way the game is today, you know, two or three, when you listen to Coach Smart talk, he's talking about needing, he's talking about culture and fit and their uh, identity and, and their locker room. And I think when once you become dependent on transfers from other schools, uh, it's tough to maintain that that culture and that identity in the locker room and when you supplement it when you bring in a couple two three four five even um i think you're still able to maintain but uh once you start getting those numbers high you become dependent on guys that are uh, coming from other places that have different approaches um it's tough to cultivate uh a, a sustainable consistent uh, culture of, of how we do things, the Georgia way, if you will. And the, the Georgia approach so far has been, let's get the guys out of high school, let's recruit them, let them know what we're all about, build them up um, in our way, the Georgia way, and then as needed, we can supplement here and there. And quite honestly, I think that's the best approach. I don't think you can ignore the transfer portal, it is what it is. And for those that are old school and despise it, 
I hear you, but that, that's not what college football or really any sport is about right now. And you have to recognize that this is a major animal that is not going away. And I'm sure after um, Georgia wins another national championship, Bill Norton won't be the only name that transfers out of our program. Sure. And um, that's just part of it. But, um, you know, hopefully guys are recognizing that there's still a great opportunity to finish on a high note this season and, and don't want to disrupt the apple cart before then. I didn't intend to ask this, but I will. You know, obviously, John, around Christmas, we're always so thankful for your contribution to our program, and I'm kind of curious, you know, what does Christmas mean at the Stenchcomb uh, home and also for yourself as a player for a long time? I think people don't really kind of realize this as how little football players get to enjoy Christmas in the NFL you're playing. I mean, a lot of the guys are going to be playing on Christmas weekend here right now. Georgia practices its way through Christmas. I think one of the big reasons why you have so many opt-outs for what we think of as the meaningless bowls is because players don't want to practice on Christmas if they don't have to. So I guess I'm kind of curious about you know what Christmas means for you now and uh, as we get ready to enjoy Christmas ourselves this upcoming weekend and all those years as a football player when you didn't probably get a whole lot of Christmas. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it certainly did change once I retired and came home and yeah. realized that Christmas is not just a day, but it's like a, a, a month worth <laughs> of family visits and, and festivities. And I appreciate that. But, for, you know, for our home, it's, uh, you know, it's always uh, about celebrating the true gift that we all get to receive, and that's Jesus. Sure. So it's, it's a fun way to recognize how truly blessed um, we are and be able to share that with others and hopefully we're conveying that to our kids but um, you know as a, as a football player there were so many Christmas seasons that uh, you know you, you, you didn't focus on what you're getting I mean I can think back to the Georgia days and, and saying you know we celebrated Christmas and then had to drive to uh, Tennessee later that day mm. so that we could start bowl practice, you know, and, and, and that's just kind of the nature of the beast. I mean, holidays aren't always uh, what the conventional expression and experience are for most folks, but um, I, I've learned to appreciate both. And, you know, afterwards you say, man, having a schedule and, and not being as hectic uh, with trying to organize and not offend and make sure you attend as much as you can. Sure. Uh, it causes a lot less stress when somebody else has planned it, but it certainly is enjoyable when you, you get the time that you can with family and, and friends. So there's there's pros and cons to both. Yeah, nothing says happy holidays like Neil Calloway screaming at you in the freezing cold, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no doubt. It's, you know, it is funny. You're in the middle of it. You don't realize that sure. not everybody is getting yelled at right after uh, – <laughs> You, you rip open a present. No so, doubt. It's pretty funny. Well, John, I hope you and your family have a great Merry Christmas this year, and certainly we'll look forward to uh, all the fun that comes up after that with a chance to uh, bring home a national championship for these dogs. So you enjoy that for now, and we'll look forward to talking to you about some more football here coming up very soon too. Well, appreciate it, B.A. Merry Christmas to you and yours and to the rest of the dog nation. Thank you, John. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I'm telling you right now, man, there's uh, not a lot of Christmas to be had sometimes for football players. And so uh, it's one of those things when you're on the other side of that football career. 
I think you have a greater appreciation for just how much some normal life things that those of us who are not football players or football coaches probably have a tendency to want to take for granted. Let me also say one thing. We're talking about transfer portal stuff a moment ago, too. And I think most Georgia fans are kind of of the same mind on this. At least I believe that they are, which is that you would never want Georgia to be as transfer dependent as some programs seem to be, where from one year to the next, they're only as good as their transfer portal hall has allowed them to be. That's a little bit too erratic for most Georgia fans' taste, and frankly, I think that'd be too erratic for uh, Kirby Smart's taste, too, that you would never want to be that dependent on the portal, because we actually saw this last year after spring practice where there just wasn't a lot to be had in the portal they you know there weren't a lot of elite sec level players going into the portal post spring practice i think some people thought there would be more there weren't tons of those and so therefore if you were kind of hoping to build your roster via the portal you didn't have a lot to build on in terms of those building blocks in that portal just based on the fact that sometimes you look in there you don't quite find what you're looking for it's a little bit like going to go christmas shopping this time of year and the shelves been picked over a little bit you know sometimes the portal gets kind of picked through uh, a bit too so you don't want to be too transfer portal dependent not only because you may not find what you're looking for but also because when you bring a lot of different folks in from different parts of the world all of their and parts of the world i mean you know different programs they played on in the past you know you know outside the sec whatever else now when you get those guys on your roster all of a sudden you don't really have a common culture that these players you know share together very much and that's a problem too but the flip side of that can also be a problem there as well maybe the most prominent name that comes to mind here is a guy like Dabo swinney who's drawn a really hard line in the sand that says we're basically not interested in transfer players at all you know that's to me the kind of conviction that i understand where it comes from you'd love to think that you could be successful without doing that but to cut off a mechanism like that and say hey we're not going to try to utilize this whatsoever then you're putting yourself at a disadvantage that you don't really have to put yourself in that you're making a choice to make things harder than they necessarily need to be and so conversely what kirby smart is doing would seem to be a little bit more appropriate which is you know george is not seeming looking to take a lot of transfers but it is always looking to see which transfers are available and is this a player that helps us is this a player that fits our culture is this a player that does and gives us a chance to to be as a team what we want to be and so i think that george is kind of probably getting that right in terms of the balance that it's trying to strike we'll have more sec news here in a moment let me remind you before that though we are cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and uh, last night again, you know, my family and I we were just kind of getting excited. We have a big Royal Caribbean vacation coming up together in February. And he, like, here's one of the things that I, I'm a big believer in, which is, you know, when my wife and I have a chance to get away, we took a cruise just the two of us last February, and she and I were, were kind of just together uh, a couple of weeks ago on a, or I guess it was about a, about a week ago on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. It's fun to be able to do that. But there are certain things about a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation that are like really made for the family and i think one of the things that really sets out sets apart royal caribbean as a cruise provider that's maybe different than anything else is just the really fun stuff they have for the families i'm talking about water slides there on the ship i'm talking about when you visit perfect day coco Cay, the stuff that's kind of designed for family entertainment you know so much of the stuff you know on board the show is kind of geared to enjoying for the whole family there's stuff that my daughter likes more there's stuff that my son likes more but there's sort of something for everybody a lot of the restaurants even kind of the fun stuff uh that you kind of go around experience like including like just going to like the sprinkles place and getting the the free ice cream you stop by there and do that all of that kind of designed to make things fun for the family so i gotta tell you i'm super excited about having my kids with me on board wonder of the seas coming up this february and i gotta tell you if you're looking kind of really 
take your own family vacation kind of up a notch to the next level a royal caribbean cruise vacation is a great way to do that and by the way we'd love to have your entire family join us this upcoming april for our dog nation cruise but even before that if you have a chance to schedule some travel for yourself and your family i think a royal caribbean cruise vacation will be something you and your family would really really enjoy so reach out to our friend jessica slater she's a great travel agent she put a website together for our dog nation cruise this april you can visit that royaldogs.com that's royaldogs.com you can also call jessica directly 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 talk to her about all the other great cruises in addition to the dog nation cruise on independence of the seas all of the other great cruise opportunities you have via royal caribbean she'll tell you all about that and i think you'll be really really excited about the possibilities all right as my music ends which means i've gone too long let me pop in here and uh, give you some sec news here for a moment and let's take some time to laugh at florida now we said this on friday and this i guess turned out to be a harbinger of doom for the lousy stinking gators they were a 10-point underdog against oregon state in the las vegas ball what we said on friday's show was listen you better not go up there and get blown out. You better not travel uh, out west and just get absolutely hammered. And that's exactly what Florida did. So much so that the only storyline from the game that anyone's going to remember is Florida kicking a field goal in the waning seconds to preserve their long streak of not having been shut out. It dates back to 1988's nation's longest streak, something they're very, very proud of, so much so that they're rushing out there to kick a field goal, an otherwise meaningless fourth quarter, as a way of at least saying they scored some points not against you know some national power but against oregon state and listen when you got a team like you know the beavers and playing a team like florida which is coming obviously you know dealing with a bunch of opt-outs it's not unheard of to lose a game like that of course that kind of happens but i'm sorry i'm gonna draw a line in the sand on this if you're florida you can't be getting blown out by oregon state you can't you can lose the game uh georgia lost a bowl game a few years ago i mean you know sec teams do occasionally lose games you can lose to oregon state and you don't have that much to apologize for but you can't get blown out. That's embarrassing. And you ought to be ashamed of yourself to have a back-to-back losing season. And listen, this whole idea of, well, you got to give Billy Napier time. Y'all, Florida has been bad now for kind of a long time. And you can be as patient with that as you want to be. But every one of these losing seasons you stack on top of the last one, all of a sudden you are running risk of Recruits have zero memory of you being a relevant football team, zero memory of you being a national power. They were literally infants and toddlers the last time that Florida was really competing for a national championship. And even your own fans start to have a little bit of a memory lapse on what it actually feels like to be good. There's no doubt that on the basis of you know what, what Billy Napier experiences this year, what Dan Mullen experienced over the course of his last few years, what Jim McElwain experienced before that, there is no doubt that Florida has been lessened as a program. That's not just me saying that as the chief Gator hater, although I do revel in this being true. It's, it is just an objective fact that Florida has been diminished as a program. And every one of these losing seasons they have makes that more and more true. And if you're playing backups, if you're down to what a 50 scholarship players, whatever it was, playing a game like this, this is the SEC. Your backups are supposed to be able to play. Your second and third string guys are supposed to be the kind of talent that other programs would salivate over. That's sort of the thing that makes the SEC the SEC. But I'm sorry, Florida playing uh, in Las Vegas doesn't look like the SEC at all. What is it that sometimes people call Billy Napier? They call him Sunbelt Billy because he came from Louisiana Lafayette. Guess what? Florida sort of looked like a Sunbelt team getting bounced up and down that field in Las Vegas by uh, Florida on Saturday. But that's not the only thing that happened for Florida, kind of an embarrassing uh, note here this weekend 
their 2023 recruiting cycle is not exactly a closing in glorious fashion. They lost out on a running back, Mark Fletcher, who goes to Miami, and I'm sure it's an NIL deal. I'm sure John Ruiz is writing a big check. But you're Florida. You're supposed to be writing big checks. Uh, <laughs> you know, this idea that Miami is the only program in the Sunshine State that's allowed to pay NIL bucks, you're Florida. You know, I mean, how many players are you going to lose to Miami before you pony up some dollars here, too? If that's really what all of this is, then maybe you ought to write some checks of your own. Uh, and then you also had, what, there's this defensive lineman that's committed to UCF that Florida thought they're going to be able to flip. Come to find out they can't even do that. He's sticking with UCF. And I told you this the other day. Watch out for Gus Malzahn. UCF's in the Power Five now. And for a team like Florida that's had a hard time kind of getting their recruiting apparatus up and running, the last thing they need is another program there in the Sunshine State kind of playing at the Power Five level, especially for a guy like Malzahn who probably won more recruiting battles over the course of the last half decade than Florida has anyway. Uh, that's something to you know kind of take a little bit seriously here. So pretty embarrassing weekend for Florida. Those of us who are Gator headers uh, love every single aspect of that. And we wanted to take some time to kind of celebrate that. Also, there was some interesting news coming out of Alabama where their two-star players, Bryce Young, Will Anderson, are playing in the Sugar Bowl. Now, the myth-making around this, I think, is hilarious. And look, as a college football fan, I am glad that Young and Anderson are playing because it's always good to have good players playing a game. So as someone who will be you know, looking forward to watching this game, having two really good entertaining players playing the game, I think it's a great thing. And you've heard me say many times before, I don't like Alabama, but I do like Young and Anderson. I just think they're terrific players and they're, you know, just they've had, you know, fun careers there. You think about the Falcons or something like that. I'd love to have either one of these two guys playing for the Falcons. So I like both these guys a lot. But this idea, the fact that Bryce Young and Will Anderson are playing the Sugar Bowl, there are some people out there who'll tell you, oh, this just kind of shows you what kind of program Nick Saban's running. Well, actually, what kind of shows me what kind of program Nick Saban's running is the fact that he had Will Anderson and Bryce Young on his team and couldn't do anything with them. The fact that they lost the national championship game a year ago, didn't even make the playoff this year, that actually probably shows me more about the kind of program that Nick Saban's currently running. And this idea of, you know, Anderson and Young playing this game sends a message to future Alabama players. What exactly message does that send? I think if you're a Bama fan, the thing you better be afraid of is is that Bryce Young and Will Anderson playing in this meaningless New Year's Six Bowl, that future Alabama players will be forced to do the same thing because that's exactly where Alabama may be in future years. You know, the the the, the notion here of Anderson and Young making the most out of being in the New Year's Six, being in a kind of what we would think of as a meaningless bowl, that may be the kind of thing that future Alabama players have to get used to there as well because I'm not quite so sure that the playoffs is going to be as much of a given for the Crimson Tide in the future as it sort of has been in the past. Then finally, a couple of other things here real quick. Internet will tell you that Bo Hughley, the Georgia Offensive Line Commit, visited Colorado over the weekend. I don't know what to make of that. I know Hughley had the thing on Twitter the other day where he, you know, openly proclaimed that the fact he was still committed to UGA, the fact that he needs to do that so frequently just gives you an idea that Hughley has been moving around a bunch, visited Auburn a bunch over the summer. That turned out not to be much. Uh, now he's, I guess, uh, visited Colorado here too. My assumption is that's probably not going to result in much either. But listen, in, in the class of 2023, given how weird things are, who knows about anything? Uh, I will say this, though, is that try not to go too hard on him because like there have been a couple of examples here where there are recruits that have very much enjoyed their recruitment very much you know taking every visit they could take and 
you know, cultivate every bit of drama they possibly could. And then yet when they got to Georgia, you've loved them as players. You know, the, to me, there's a very different, a big difference in how you handle yourself as a recruit and how you, how you handle yourself as a player. You know, for instance, I'd say that Nolan Smith was a pretty dramatic recruit. When you say that, I don't mean that negatively. I just mean that he had the thing on, on uh, April Fool's where he, you know, decommitted from Georgia as a joke. And it's a guy that took a lot of visits and things like that. And yet, being at Georgia, no one would say anything other than the fact that Nolan Smith's been a great player to have in this Georgia team. So, you know, sometimes how you handle yourself as a recruit and how much drama you're comfortable with, uh, what you do as a player sometimes can be very different than that. So if Hughley goes through all of this, ends up at UGA, to me, you know, it just sort of is what it is. And, you know, he has taken advantage of the opportunity that's available to him and who could fault him for wanting to do that. But hard not to notice that a player like Hughley, who has been you know, kind of seen around and other, certainly visiting a lot of other places other than UGA a lot of the course of the last year here on this final weekend before the uh, dead period kind of doing the same thing there again and then finally one more deal here so I you want to look, see an example of the impact that a coach like Hugh Freeze has a chance to make on Auburn there have been some chatter here this weekend that Grayson McCall pretty you know high profile quarterback most recently of Coastal Carolina was going to visit Auburn and then the same weekend it sort of seemed like Devin Leary the NC State former quarterback he was going to visit Auburn too you're gonna have both these quarterbacks transfer targets visiting on the same weekend then I guess it sounds like McCall um uh, canceled his visit did not going and then I guess Leary did which almost makes it seem like that Auburn sort of choosing to focus on Leary more so than McCall I guess which I'm not quite so sure I would necessarily do that if I was Auburn not really an expert necessarily on either player but uh, if I had a chance to add McCall or Leary would I prefer McCall I think I might but maybe I'm just kind of wrong on that uh, but either way you know for a coach like Hugh Freeze who has been impactful for quarterbacks before a guy like Malik Willis was buried on the bench at Auburn and yet became a household name for the most part with how he performed with Freeze at Liberty all of a sudden Freeze becomes the Auburn coach and you've got guys like McCall guys like Leary in the mix and uh, I think you're getting that indication that that Hugh Freeze is going to be an impactful coach for Auburn in a way that say somebody like Billy Napier can only dream of being in a place like Florida so watch this Auburn situation here this offseason looks like Hugh Freeze is kind of already kind of getting off to uh, a little bit of a start here in a way that frankly Brian Hartz was never able to do either so uh, the early days of the uh, Hugh Freeze era worth paying attention to will make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean and of course here this time of year many of you think about New Year's resolutions and getting a uh, great 2023 off to a great start and for some of you that includes your health because you've got some sort of nagging injury some sort of orthopedic issue that's preventing you from doing the kinds of things you love to do whether it's playing golf or you know a lot of you like to be runners or you whatever you know playing tennis something, something along those lines whatever you're dealing with that's keeping you from living the life that you want to enjoy our friends at peachtree orthopedics are a great group to know about kind of getting you back enjoying the things that you uh, want to be doing because they've been Atlanta's go-to orthopedic practice for 70 years. Physicians and specialists that are experts at really every part of the body for you and knowing how to get you back doing what you uh, want to be doing. They've got a great process for you as well. They want to listen. They want to understand your problem. They want to explain the options to you and eliminate your fear that you might have about surgery or something along those lines. And they want to make a plan for you and your recovery to kind of get you back living the life that you want to live. They've also got the urgent ortho uh, clinic as well, where they've got same day, evening, Saturday hours it can kind of make a schedule that kind of works for you. It means avoid the ER. You can stay safe. You can get seen quicker. That's what our friends at Peachtree Orthopedics is, are all about. So find them online at PeachtreeOrthopedics.com. That is PeachtreeOrthopedics.com. 
So uh, a couple of golden shoes to kind of go out with here. Obviously, a lot of this kind of making fun of the lousy, stinking gators. Uh, but also our uh, buddy Jermaine King had this. I think this is fantastic. We talked about this going back to last week that people still upset with Todd McShay. And so one of our viewers, Randy Hall, had said, I want to see the photo of Jalen Carter but instead of carrying Jaden Daniels, the LSU quarterback, I want it carrying Todd McShay. So we got a few examples of folks who kind of shared this in, sent this in to us. Jermaine Kings, I believe, may be the best. He says, I'm still rehabbing my knee fracture, but I had to unretire to make this for you. He says, hashtag golden shoe, go for two and 22. And another of uh, a number of other Jalen Carter centric hashtags there as well. What I love about this is you get the thought bubble on Todd McShay saying, I'm so sorry, Jalen. So uh, very well done from Jermaine King, super talented guy. Speaking of super talented guys, our buddy Mad Dog is as well. He sends this in when your team gets torn apart by the Pac-12 Beavers. You see the Oregon State Beaver biting through the uh, wood that is the Florida Gators. Uh, Indeed, that's the case, Mad Dog. Never a good sign when you're in the losing end of a blowout at the hands of Oregon State. Not a lot of those to uh, really look back on and see in history but that's what happened to florida this past weekend so funny stuff from mad dog there as well we'll give him a golden shoe too and by the way speaking of the lousy stinging gators you think it's bad now why don't you wait 313 days from right now you're going to find even more bad news on the uh, horizon that is our gatorator countdown we'll see you back here tomorrow for dog nation daily presented by pella window in dwarf georgia we'll look forward to talking to you then and on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast cooldown. R.S. Andrews, when you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. Uh, you can send your comments via Twitter at Dog Nation Daily or in the comments section. We post the show each every day at DogNation.com. Tammy Pounds 3 writes in, and it may be threat, but either way, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, that I honestly hate to see any SEC team lose like that in a bowl. She says that Florida did what they uh, could do with who they had, but any other day, I hate the Gators and it's go dogs. So in other words, she says, I'm a Georgia fan, I'm a Gator hater, but you know, typically I'd like to see the SEC teams kind of perform better than that in a bowl game. I understand where she's coming from. I guess there was probably a time in my life when I was probably pretty pro-SEC. I don't know that I've ever openly rooted for Florida in a bowl game. I guess I probably haven't. But nonetheless, you kind of get the idea of conference pride come bowl season. And yet I would say that whatever conference pride feeling I probably had, you know, even though it's never really extended to Florida, whatever my conference pride feeling was – has probably just diminished a lot in recent years because what it has meant to be in the SEC has kind of changed. You know, one point in time, it's kind of a 12-team league. Then it became a 14-team league. It's about to become a 16-team league. And we're kind of getting further removed from what I sort of think of as the fabric of the SEC. No disrespect to Missouri or Texas A&M or soon to be Oklahoma or uh, Texas, but these are not really kind of the sort of programs that I feel any kind of real kinship with. Frankly, they're a long way away from where I'm sitting right here in uh, the Atlanta area here in the state of Georgia they just sort of feel like a long way away so you know the idea that we're all in this together conference pride when the conference is now pretty far flung you start to feel less of that than maybe you would have in the past but there's also kind of the flip side that in the future we're about to move into an era in which it's going to be two conferences the SEC and the Big Ten really competing against each other in a way that no two conferences have ever really separated themselves before that it's maybe always been true that the SEC and the Big Ten were kind of the haves in comparison to some other have-nots in college sports. But that's about to be even more true in the future than it has been uh, here for right now. And so, you know, maybe conference pride will start to mean something again here in the future because, as you've maybe heard me say before, that in the future we may view our rivals as our opposition and the real enemy is actually the other league, the Big Ten, because – 
in a sport where everybody's kind of competing for the resources, the money and everything else that the Big Ten may be the one trying to actually take food off your table. So maybe conference pride will mean something more in the future than it does for me right now. But as the SEC's gotten larger and it's taken on teams that don't exactly have much of a Southeast flair to them, you know, the whole idea of rooting for the SEC in bowl season probably doesn't mean to me what it once did. But Maybe you've got some thoughts on that there as well. You can share those and weigh in on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily or in the comment section there at DogNation.com. Either way, we appreciate you being a part of the program. We appreciate R.S. Andrews making it possible as well. And as it's very cold here right now, good reminder to us that it's got a long winter on its way here. And great time to go ahead and get that heating system that keeps you warm during the winter tuned back up to factory fresh specs. Our friends at R.S. Andrews can do that for you. So find them online at rsandrews.com. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. And we'll look forward to talking to you then.